Blog Talk Radio. Hi, and welcome to The Art of Film Funding. I'm your co-host, Claire Papan, along with Carol Dean, author of the best-selling book, The Art of Film Funding. Carol is also the founder and president of From the Heart Productions and the host of this show. Anna Dara is an experienced film buyer, negotiating with and licensing over 800 films in her 12 years, working for Guyam and Spiritual Cinema Circle. She's been an active player on the festival circuit and currently advises filmmakers on custom distribution strategies. Anna is also a filmmaker who produced two documentaries that aired on the Sundance Channel. She's currently working on a feature-length documentary about Helen Schreider. You can learn more about this at the website, thehelenmovie.com. And Carol, I understand you're the fiscal sponsor for Anna for her documentary film. Yes, we are. And we're honored to have you, Anna. And thanks for joining us today. Thank you so much for having me, Carol. I'm thrilled to be here. And Claire, thanks for uh, the introduction. Well, you have quite a bio. We're we're really impressed. And so what we want to cover today is we want to learn information on marketing and distribution. And I thought I would start with what you have on your seminar page. You say that you you made a film, and now what? Uh, how do you reach your audience, and how do you create revenue? And you also say you would think that with all the new digital platforms that it's easier today to market your film. Is it really? That's a good question. We could start with that one. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, you know how much things have been changing. It's it's an incredibly new world to the point where uh, my partner, business partner, Jillianne Spitzmiller, and I have been teaching uh, film distribution workshops out in the wide world. And every time we teach a new one, we have to do incredible amounts of research just to catch up and make sure that we're accurately conveying the things that have changed even over the last few months. So um, it really is a, a quickly evolving situation. And you know, I think a few years ago, people did make films without considering what was going to happen next. People just got into the filmmaking and got very excited about, you know, the, the artistic aspect of the process, the expression, what they're creating, especially with documentaries, you know, the passion behind the concept of the film. And then, you know, they'd get finished and they'd say, okay, now I have a product, but they had no idea what to do with it. And so right. we are, over just the last maybe four years, that has transformed into a time period where if you're making a film, you are also responsible for distributing the film. You can't count on a company seeing it and deciding that they want to, you know, put every penny they have behind your movie and take it out for you so that you can go make your next movie. It doesn't work like that anymore. So now filmmakers are responsible for the distribution side of the business as well. And they're catching up very, very quickly, which is why there's great demand for the workshops we're giving. It's why we feel so strongly about teaching filmmakers the situation around 
distribution so that they can understand what they're stepping into and what it means for them. Um, so, so that's the main goal. And at this point, um, it is not so easy because there's so many complicated pieces to it uh, now that we have to do it ourselves um, on some level or another. And yet at the same time, finding your audience and connecting directly with your audience is easier than it has ever been in the past. It used to be that the yes. companies that you wanted to take your film, it used to be that, that they were the connection to the audience. And so you had mm -hmm. to find a company to represent your film because there was no other way to connect to your audience. But now it's a whole new world and filmmakers create their own audience. So, you know, in some ways it's easier and in some ways it's much harder. Right. Well, this is the key because uh, I teach this with my intentional filmmaking class that you should be working parallel with your uh, between attaching, between identifying, attaching your audience to your film and keeping them mm -hmm. interested mm -hmm. while you're making the film. But you really need to identify the audience. So any guidance you can give us in that area is how do you reach? We'll start with the, the next question you had on your site was how do you reach your audience? What do you recommend? Mm hmm well, we do an entire section within the workshop about how to reach your audience. Um, Jillian is particularly good at this. She's a documentary filmmaker who created Shakespeare Behind Bars and Still Dreaming and Homeland, and she's been connecting with her audience directly for decades as a documentary filmmaker. So she brings a lot of experience to the workshop from that. And I think she's also worked with you quite a bit, Carol. So I think she's also pulled from the knowledge and the teachings that you've been bringing on the subject. Um, so, you know, generally what, what we talk about there is, uh, you know, Jillan goes more into the partnerships and the marketing to through partners and ways to find your audience. Um, through organizations who may already have your audience. I kind of go back to the origins and talk a little bit more about exactly who your audience is. So I back it up to when you're making your movie, who are you selling your movie to? Who is going to pay to see this film? And that's a, that's a really important question. It's not who might have interest in your film if they were forced to watch it. It's who would <laughs> lay down money to see the film. And so, you know, when you're looking at it from that perspective, it's okay if there's only one person you can think of who you know would absolutely lay down money to see this film. Because you can create your marketing and, your, and you can create a lot around that one person, right? That's kind of one of the things we learn is um, if we find one rabid fan and we market to that one rabid fan, it turns out that one represents, you know, 500,000 in today's world. And that's, that's an audience. So, Great. And, and do you, uh, when you find that fan, do you uh, question them? Do you ask where they hang out online or what clubs they belong to? Or? <laughs> if you're smart, you sure do. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. You want to find out, you know, how to find more of them. Absolutely. And then, you know, as you find them, you can start posting on different blogs and forums and conversations that are happening. Um, you know, my daughter is young enough to be 
really versatile on her actual on her on her phone <laughs> through Reddit and all the subreddits and all this kind of world that I know nothing about. But she wants to set up a, a Reddit interview. I guess there's a subreddit that's about interviewing someone who ask them anything. I think it's called. And you introduce a person and you say, okay, we're totally open to questions. Type in your questions. And everybody who's tuned into this subreddit starts typing in their questions to the person. So we want to get my wonderful 90-year-old subject of my documentary to be sitting there in the room with my 20-year-old daughter. <laughs> um, so oh, that yes. As, as the questions come in, right, my daughter can field them and answer them. And Helen is sitting right there. We'll be able to talk back and forth. So there are a million strange ways to find your audience today is kind of my point. <laughs> <laughs> Wonderful. Well, yeah. I've never heard of this one. Can you spell that? R-E-D-I-T? Reddit, I think it's two Ds. Um, I, as I said, you know, I'm not super familiar with Reddit, <laughs> but uh, my okay. daughter is all about it. Yeah, it's two Ds. They call it the front page of the Internet. And the thing is, it, when I first, you know, when you first pull it up and look at it, it looks totally confusing to me. But somehow teenagers really understand this and they know how to play within it. Right. So it's it's kind of a blast. Yes, it it does seem as though that that there are so many different uh, channels out there and and, um, opportunities for connecting and, you know, the social media and and so forth. And YouTube is almost, it's now a social media in itself um, because of all the chats that go on with the videos. And one of the things that um, that uh, some of the my younger um, connections talk about is Snapchat. That's a whole nother one. And uh, and then you know the, some some of the mediums are uh, more universal for all ages, but. There are also some, like you were just mentioning Reddit, that may have the younger audience. But it's so good to be able to connect into each one of them and know how to, um, you know, reach out and be reachable as well. Yeah, absolutely. Exactly. And that's the point is, you know, to create awareness, number one, and then to allow people to understand how to find you, number two. And the more, you know, at this point, it used to be that people would protect the ways in which they were going out to the world. So they would be very, very careful. I will only go out in this one way. And people were super scared. If you look at windows of release, they were really scared to jump a window of release, you know, and to go from theatrical to DVD or to you know, have something out on VOD and then do a theatrical. I mean, how, how is that possible? How could you ever do something like that? Because they were so protective of the ways in which they were being seen. But today what we're finding is because audiences are finding films through so many different channels, it's really the more you do, the more people see you. So, you know, you're not going to blow one audience through one method of showing your film to the audience you're going to only increase your audience by increasing your methods of release. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Yes, it does. I'm totally with you. I think that's wonderful. 
So I always encourage filmmakers uh, to say yes to things. You know, when filmmakers are looking at options and they say, well, you know, there's this big company looking at me, but there's also this little company that wants to do this one little teeny thing, this one buyer. Should I say yes? I say say yes to everything and work out the details Mm -hmm. in the contracts, you know, and be very, very upfront about what you're saying yes to. So, you know, you're not hiding anything, but you can make it work. You have the power. If you can prove that you have an audience, you have the power with the companies. Yes, but you do need to prove you have an audience and you have to have, I hear, a certain number of names on um, Facebook to start with. One of uh, the filmmakers that won my grant was going to iTunes and she said that she had to have 5,000 names on her Facebook to get on iTunes. And she had 4,000, so everybody was sending it out to their friends to build her numbers up. All of this really matters to distributors, doesn't it? Yes, and it's changing every day. So, Mm -hmm. like, you know, when I did a a panel at Sundance one year, um, Alan Chu was doing a a series of panels on his own, and he asked me to come in and talk about, I, I even forget what my panel was about at the time, but I was um, coming in to talk about something. And he did a panel about Twitter and um, Facebook. And at the time, if you didn't have a thousand followers on Twitter, you wouldn't be asked to be on a panel anywhere. Oh my gosh. So, oh. <laughs> and the, re- the reason why was because the people putting on the panel needed to know that you were going to get the word out to your people. And if you weren't going to get the word out to your people and if you didn't have people at your fingertips listening to what you're mm-hmm. saying, then why have you on the panel? Why not choose somebody else who has a lot of followers? So, but, you know, a thousand Twitter followers four years ago, five years ago, is like 500,000 today. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's, you know, people have crazy amounts of Twitter followers today. Yeah. Um, right. So it, it's it's really it changes constantly, and I think the rules change constantly as well. So it's interesting that right now iTunes is saying you have to have you know five thousand or four thousand people on Facebook. That's a very interesting marker, but it it'll probably change in in a few months. You know, it may be it may be that Facebook doesn't matter as much. It may be that they're looking at Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter together, and you've got to hit twenty k. Who knows, right? It's a constantly changing (laughs) environment, yeah. Right. Well, all right, let's let's talk about um, who you think are the important players in the film distribution area. Let's start with the uh, distributor, because I like uh, Jason Brubaker. He's a friend of mine, and I know he works Mm -hmm. there, and it seems to be a really good company. But basically, what do they do for filmmakers? Well, what they do is they take out the middleman. They, they remove the need for a distributor. And, and, I, and I'm going to put a little asterisk on that and say within the United States. So, uh-huh. um, you know, this is not about international distribution. This is really U.S. distribution at this point, although a lot of U.S. distribution is worldwide. So, you know, when you're on iTunes, certainly in other countries as well, generally. Um, 
But what Distriber and Quiver do is they encode your film so that it's perfect enough to be welcomely received by iTunes, which is a very, very high bar. Um, they, you know, iTunes for years has been saying to different distribution companies, sure, we'll take that film from you, but it has to be encoded in this way. So you have to send it to our company over here or the company that we've chosen to work with. And they will charge you $1,200 to encode that film. And then we'll take the film. Yeah. So, you know, it's one of the weird things about iTunes, but it's also why iTunes works so well. You know, they realized in the beginning, if we don't have issues with playability, our company will work 99% better across the board. And they're right. Mm-hmm. So, and it, mm-hmm. also, it also weeds out the films that don't have the right aspect ratio, that don't have the right subtitles, that don't, you know, it weeds out a huge number of films that cannot get themselves to the bar that they're requesting you you get to. So um, Distriber and Quiver will, inco- and, and, you know, there's 23 other companies at this point that are doing this. These are just two really good ones. Um, they encode your film perfectly so that iTunes will accept it. They charge you to encode your film in the first place. And then they charge you per platform to present your film to the different platforms that you cannot get to as a filmmaker. So, you know, iTunes, Hulu, Amazon, Netflix, they will present to all the online voodoo, Mimbi, you know, all these online um, options. They will send out for you, and you pay per platform that you would like them to send out to. Um, if the company doesn't accept your film, you actually receive the money back, most of it. I think they keep like 150 bucks, something like that per platform. So it's a, it's a good risk um, if you want to get your film out to, you know, Amazon, iTunes, Netflix, if you want your film presented to those platforms. And but can't you go to Netflix and Amazon on your own? No, you cannot. You can absolutely go to Amazon. Anyone can go to Amazon and get your film up. Um, Amazon is a little bit like YouTube like that, actually. Uh, where they've realized, you know, there's no reason to curate. We might as well allow people to put their films on here because, you know, they don't market your film. So, you know, what they're doing is they're creating a platform for you to sell your film, but they're not going to market your film for you. Netflix, on the other hand, um, is very, very difficult to get to as a filmmaker when I made a documentary that we had on Sundance Channel in 20, 2005, um, 2004, I think, actually, Netflix said they wanted it at the time, and we were able to get through to Netflix as filmmakers because Netflix was buying everything they could possibly buy at the time. They were really creating a huge library of films as fast as they possibly could. And so they said, yes, we would love to get your film. But then they said, we need you to go through a distributor because we need the insurance and the backup and the, you know, everything that that insurance, that that distributor is going to have. And we don't, we can't deal with a filmmaker directly. That was in 2004. So, you know, you still can't get to Netflix directly. They don't, they don't want to take films directly from filmmakers in my experience. 
um, unless you have, you know, a wildly powerful film that just won whatever, and you're the person representing it. So, you know, if you premiered at Sundance and you're talking directly to Netflix, that's different. But the the average movie is not going to be able to get a response from Netflix as a filmmaker. Okay. I didn't know it was so difficult. So, yeah, it is, it is with that one. Now, iTunes, again, you do need to go through some kind of a company. You can't go yourself because, like I said, you have to prove that you're going to encode it correctly and it's going to be perfect. So mm-hmm. um, iTunes demands that you go through one of their encoding companies, and that's what Distriber and Quiver and other, other companies like that have that nobody else has. They have the ability to deliver to iTunes, which is you know, a great thing. So um, the question becomes, if iTunes is going to take my film but is not going to market my film, and the only way iTunes becomes a platform where I'm really going to sell my film from its merits alone, from the wide world finding my film on iTunes, that only happens if you're in the top few hundred films that are being sold at the time. So you have to market like crazy. You have to bring your audience to iTunes and say, buy my film, buy my film, buy my film. Come on, everybody, friends, aunts, uncles, everybody, buy my film right now on iTunes so that I can get in the top 100 films so that I will suddenly show up in all the places where people are looking for movies and things to watch on iTunes. But up until that point, you are one of millions of products and you know are not going to be found by somebody looking for something to watch. So the question becomes, if I'm going to push my entire audience to iTunes and split the money with iTunes, why don't I take my entire audience to my own website? Yes. And yes. This is, that's where VHX right. comes in. <laughs> exactly. That's where VHX comes in. And um, I love what VHX is doing. And, you know, VHX recently was bought by Vimeo, so it's all, all one big happy family now, I'm sure. Um, but VHX allows the filmmaker without any down payments, any money. You know, it used to be that we... As you remember, Carol, I mean, we would have a film ready to go and we'd say, well, I obviously I have to get this up on my website, but it would cost like $4,000 to work with, yes. you know, a design, a web company who could encode uh-huh. your film, get it on a player, create a shopping cart, put all of that onto your website, right? I mean, it was like incredibly expensive. So... VHX saw that there was a real problem there, and they solved it by saying, hey, filmmakers, we will create a page for you with your player embedded with a shopping cart, and all you have to do is give us part of your take. So they get, you know, 50%, or I think it's 40% plus 10 cents per download. So, you know, they take a fair amount of money, Um, but they set it all up for you completely for free, and it's fabulous and you can embed it in your own site as well you know and if you're going to take all the energy to push your audience to a site might as well push it to your own so that you make the money yes and and another thing i really enjoyed about vhx is that you can you can get the 7.95 for your uh, simple download, or you can get 19.95 if you have extra material, or 49.95. So 
So I tell That's filmmakers, right. you know, when you take that interview, keep going. Think about your audience. Right. What would they like to know? Even though it's not going to go in your film, because that can bring you an extra $12 on your sale right. to get you right. up to the $20 mark, right? Absolutely. Yeah, if you can add products, you know, even if it's a T-shirt or a poster or, you know, a DVD with an extra interview, any kind of added bonus materials, a CD with the soundtrack, whatever you can do, um, you know, yeah, you can really start to upsell your audience, which is what companies have realized for years um, through the Internet. And it's it's why Internet sales are such a wonderful thing. So yeah, absolutely. You can you can increase your sales past your film for sure. Exactly. Well, <clears throat> um, I noticed that Tug is one of the companies that you talk about, and um, I uh, uh, and I want to interview the man who made Touch the Wall that documentary because he had over 100 screenings on Tug over America. So tell me what you know about Tug, and do you recommend them? Well, um, yeah, there's two companies, Tug and Gather, that both do crowdsourced theatricals. Um, And what that means is that it's very similar to sort of the Indiegogo or the Kickstarter thing where you are reaching out directly to your audience to say, hey, help me support a theatrical screening in your town. Um, The key is that you have to sell out a certain number of seats in order to make the screening actually happen. So the way in which that it's, you know, at this point, when you look at a theatrical, there are a lot of ways you can go as an independent film. Uh, one, one fun way is to be in touch with a local art house theater in your hometown and say, hey, you know, we made this film here. It's a great little film. I think we can really support an audience. Let's book a film into the theater. And, you know, they'll say, okay, yeah, let's do it. Uh, let's, let's have a six-day screening. You know, we'll do a one-week screening, and the terms are 50-50. You know, we'll split the ticket price 50-50. So whoever buys a ticket, you know, the theater gets half and, and the filmmaker gets half. Now, that's awesome because, you know, you get to watch the audience. You get to do Q&As after the screenings. You get to see how it goes. I just had an experience where I helped a film do this, and four months later, they're still playing there. And the reason why oh is because gosh. the audience kept coming. Yeah, it's been great. I mean, it's so much fun to watch that happen. Now, the thing is, it's not easy, even though you can say, we just did this here, it's not easy to do it at another art house theater in another town. So, you know, if you look back to What the Bleep and the success that What the Bleep had, I think they played years yes. in, in Portland, yes. actually. And, um, you know, they started in this one art house theater. And the thing is, they weren't just playing for months and months. They were selling out over and over and over. I mean, it was the biggest hit the theater had ever had. And so that was a little bit easier to sell. And they had a huge team, you know, working on selling it. And they got it into other art house theaters and the word spread. And it just got bigger and bigger. So if you have the right movie, you know, that's a really fun way to go. The thing about Tug and Gather... Mm -hmm is that uh-huh. Tug and Gather help you to, they, they create the online portal for your film as a theatrical. Um, so they sell tickets in advance online through their website, which means let's say that you want to set up a screening in your tiny little town and you're positive that you can fill this screening and you, you absolutely know you can. 
So you say, hey, I'm the filmmaker. I'm going to do a screening here. They say, okay, then we're going to make you the captain because, you know, somebody has to captain every screening in every little town. They realize it doesn't work unless you have a person responsible in that town for filling those seats. So you become the captain or whoever becomes the captain um, has to do the marketing to get people to buy the tickets through the Tug or Gather website. And when it hits a certain number, then they get the green light and that screening is a go. It's a one-night screening only. So after all that work, you get one night. If you sell it out, you get much more money than if you only get enough to make it green light. So it green lights at like 50, 60, 70 people. But, you know, at that point, if you can sell it to 200, then that, those extra tickets are where you actually do make money as a filmmaker on the screening. So, you know, there's right. great reasons to do this. It's word of mouth and it's also money. It's getting your film in a theater. Um, the, the way that this is really working well for movies are particularly documentaries. It's, it's funny how, how this has happened, but it's much tougher to sell a narrative film through Tug or Gather than it is to sell a, a documentary. This is where documentaries are really coming into their own. And the reason why is because in every little small town, there are organizations that many documentaries, you know, today have some sort of call to action, have some sort of real activism uh, piece that they are, uh, that they can connect to organizations, nonprofits in all these little towns. So if you have a film about women's, uh, you know, domestic violence and or women's safety, uh, and it's a documentary that's really hard hitting and really worth seeing and inspiring, and you can connect to every domestic violence hotline, you know, organization in every little town. You can get them to captain these films, and you can get them to send emails to their people, and then you create. And, and you can actually even make them benefit screenings if you want to for the organization. And you can really create a word of mouth um, grassroots campaign that makes a huge difference by working through the organizations that support the concept of your film. It's very cool. Well said. Yes, it is very cool. <laughs> I think that's what the swim guy did. He um, contacted all the swim uh, groups swim uh, uh, organizations across America and said, I have a great film for you Mm -hmm. and you can raise money if you want to screen this. And it was a lot of work, yes. But in the end, look at all the names. See, he got all those names. uh, You know, so it's like Amazon gets your names. You don't get them. You don't know who saw your film on Netflix and all these platforms. But he got the names. So if he stays in that genre, he's set for the second film. He has his audience. Even if he doesn't stay in the genre, and, and, and I, I know at this point you do have to negotiate to keep your emails. So what you want to do is, because Tug and Gather are collecting email addresses for every single purchase of every single ticket, if you negotiate with them that those email addresses come to you, you can send an email selling DVDs to those people. So you end up with a huge email list of everybody who went to the theater to see your film and you can follow up with them with a, with a big DVD sale email and see how well you can sell your DVDs, you know, to this audience that loved your film. And 
interestingly, Gather will do that for you as well. So, you know, Gather says, well, one way to go with us is we will sell your DVD for you. We will immediately follow up every audience with a DVD sales email for you. And then, you, you know, if they do that work for you, then they share the profits with you. So, mm-hmm. uh, you know, there's lots of ways to do it. But, yeah, whether or not you even do your next film within the same genre, um, you can certainly upsell that audience. And continue to. Right. You know, once you right. release VOD, you know, wherever you release streaming, you can point them to your website. Yeah. Yep. Well, well I, I, I'd like a book. Oh, yeah, I, I don't see too much difference between Gather and Tug. I, and they're both run by intelligent, creative people. So Scott Glosserman runs Gather. He's a nice guy. He was a filmmaker. Anna, yes, and he yeah. had uh, he had a, a feature, and uh, it was screened in a neighborhood where his audience didn't live, so he didn't do well. So he made another film. Same thing happened, and that's when he said, "This is not the right way for filmmakers." And he created this to reach to be able to go by your database and see where they live, take those zip codes, and then hone in on that area. Uh, to come to your screening and get a, a theater in the area and bring in your audience. Yeah, super smart. Um, I think you know, and then Nick Gonda did uh, Tug, and I think that the I think right now the main difference from what I'm understanding is that Tug is doing a lot of narrative features as well as documentaries. They have a library online. It's almost like. I don't want to go to Regal. I want to see something interesting. I'm going to go to the Tug website instead. I'm going to see what's playing near me. I'm going to tune into whatever films are coming right now through Tug. And I'm going to say, yes, I'll buy a ticket to that. Gather, on the other hand, is saying, you know, we're going to focus on five or six films that we really believe we can help market. And they are actually curating and choosing five or six films throughout the year to push and curate and sell tickets to so they are getting behind the marketing efforts. So that's how oh, I see they the are. difference right now. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's an interesting time. That's... Yeah. Well, they've realized if they get behind it, you know, and it's one of these films that really has a call to action and that connects with organizations, that they can really, um, really up the success of a film if they get specific with. And, you know, they still have a big library behind them as well. But, um, you know, and lots of films that you can see through them, but they're only going to choose like five or six films a year to, to put their marketing efforts behind. So it's interesting. Right. It is. Well, that's good news. Um, now, you have uh, something about Allied Bond. I've never heard of that company. Can you tell <laughs> us what they do? Yeah, you know, this is new to me. And I just discovered them working with this film that, I, that I've just been helping out um, called She Sings to the Stars. Wonderful uh, feature narrative, three characters set in the desert southwest, beautiful movie, Native American wisdom, feminine wisdom, the strength of water and women and Native America. It's perfect timing for this film. So um, we, they, they found this company called Allied Vaughn. It turns out Allied Vaughn is a DVD manufacturing company who figured out how to replicate DVDs one at a time with copyright protection. So it used to be wow. that you couldn't, yeah, 
used to be that you couldn't replicate a DVD as a one-off with copyright protection that you had to do, you know, 500 or a thousand, or in the case of the studios, you know, hundreds of thousands. And um, so what they figured out was how to do it one at a time so that they do DVD on demand. And what they're doing is they're saying to Sony classics, Hey, listen, you know, that film from 1928 isn't going to sell a lot, but if you want to give us, you know, get us the, the master encode, we're happy to do it one off one at a time. You put it in your library and people will buy it as they wish. And so they are replicating a D, one DVD at a time based on orders that they're getting. Now, what's interesting about them is that they are, working with lots of different partners and organizations to offer that. So, you know, if you go to Sony Classics, you can go through their library and say, oh, I want a DVD of that. Well, you don't even know that it's Allied Vaughn that's making it. But Allied Vaughn also has Movie Zing, which is M-O-V-I-E-Z-Y-N-G, where you can buy any DVD in their library. So it's basically a a consumer portal for this. And every film that they have the ability to make a DVD for is listed on that site. They also work with Barnes and Noble. They they work, yeah, I mean, they work with huge amounts of organizations. And right now, what they really want is to be the one and only DVD distributor manufacturer of your film. So, Let's say you want to work with a little company that wants a distribution company that wants to sell your DVDs. You can do that because you want their marketing efforts behind you. You just have to get them to agree that Allied Vaughn will be the manufacturer of the DVDs for them. So you, you, you're signing an agreement with Allied Vaughn saying, you will be my only manufacturer of DVDs. You can also sign an agreement saying, and we want you to sell our DVDs and you'll be the only seller. Or you can say, we want you to be the only manufacturer, but we're going to use this little distribution company to actually sell our DVDs. And they're okay with either. So it's a really interesting moment in time. They say they want to be the last people on earth making the last DVD ever made. So they're, they're happy to stay in business <laughs> till the very end of DVDs. And as you oh, know, I'm so glad to hear that. Market. Yeah, yeah. They're wonderful. This company is so cool. And, you know, for filmmakers, I mean, this is exactly what we need. We need a company where we can say, okay, we're going to do a DVD push here. We don't know if we're going to get 20 sales or 500 sales. And they say, no big deal. Just let us know how many you need. We will fulfill them for you. We will mail them out. We will ship them. Do the whole story. They're incredible. And they're much cheaper than Amazon. And guess what? If you have your DVDs on Amazon, it's Allied Vaughn who's making them. Wow. Yeah. They're everywhere, huh? But we just haven't mm-hmm. heard about their name. Oh, this is exactly. good news. That's that's wonderful. Yeah. Well, going back to distribution, let me um, ask you first: Where do we go online to find the information on your seminars? Great. Well, um, we we actually have some upcoming seminars that we're working on filling right now. Um, we just. Uh, just begun to uh, to actually offer this. It's uh, the next one is going to be in Santa Fe on February 18th, and the URL is a Bitly URL. So it's bit.ly 
forward slash film dash distribution. So it's bit.ly forward slash film dash distribution. And you can get, you can see everything we're offering there. What's really exciting right now is, so we've offered this film distribution course a number of times. It's kind of a 101, nine to five, full day, full on, it's live. So you have to come to us, you sit with us and Jillian and I, entertain you, um, throwing the baton back and forth between the two of us, which actually keeps it very dynamic and fun. And we take you through the really the whole big picture of distribution. By the time you leave this course, you understand what distribution is and what you need to do with your film. So that's the 101. And what we are very excited to be adding right now is a 102. So we are adding day two. And it's going to be February 19th, also in Santa Fe. And this is going to be a workshop where we work with specific films. So we're going to cap the number of projects to 12. We're going to have 12 projects in the room, and we're going to workshop every single film, figuring out exactly where you are right now with your film, what's been done, what's left to do, looking at your audience, looking at your marketing, looking at the distribution, the windows, the order in which you should release at this point, and looking at the budget you need to create in order to make that happen. So that by the time you leave this day two, you have an implementable plan for the entire future of your film. Wow, that's terrific. Now, if let's say someone can't make this uh, seminar, how can they find you uh, and what is your uh, website? My website is com. So it's A-N-N-A-D-A-R-R-A-H.com. And there's a contact, you know, email on there and easy to get in touch with me from there. And um, they can uh, find out more about future uh, or current stuff that's going on. And you also give consultations absolutely. on marketing and distribution. Yes, I I'm do. sure that's yes, beneficial. Well, yes, all right. I, I love working one-on-one. On, one on one. Yeah. Yeah, it's fun. It really is fun to get into yeah. um, a new film, look at it from your perspective, and share your wisdom. I bet you have a lot of fun doing that. I do. Yeah. Well, if someone is listening and they have a feature and they want to go to a distributor, can you give us some advice on how you would suggest that they dist- uh, that they submit to a distributor? Yeah, you know, it's not super complicated, but it's really important. Um, you know, I, I used to say if you're submitting to a distributor on DVD, this is when I was, you know, watching a thousand films a year, you know, make sure that you've watched your DVD and that it works. Because I'll tell you what, if I spend the time to put the DVD in the player and it starts clicking and it's not going to play or it only plays the first five minutes, I am not going to watch it again, you know, and don't send a rough cut because if I reject it, it's very unlikely that I'm going to rewatch, you know, when you've got a better copy or a better, you know, when the sound is finally done. So, um, you know, those were sort of some older pieces of advice. The new advice that I would give right now is, when it, you know, it's really fine for a filmmaker to email a distributor cold. So somebody you've never met, you know, you, you can find the information. There's a lot of ways to find information on who the right person is. 
you're looking for the acquisitions executive, the person who is acquiring films, not the salesperson, but the person who's acquiring. You find that person, you find their email, and you send a very brief email to them, which says, new film. You know, hi, I've got this incredible new film that I'd love you to see. Um, It's about, you know, a woman and her family living in the 1930s in the Dust Bowl. Uh, Here's the key art. Here's the trailer. Please let me know if you'd like to see a link. The film won 16 awards over 14 festivals and we're ready for worldwide distribution. You know, something very simple. Not a lot of sales, not a lot of information. You don't want to talk about how many times the audience kept coming back or how many people were crying at the end of each show. You know, none of that matters because the person's going to watch it themselves to see if they want it. And you do not send the film. You send the trailer and key art or just the key art if you don't have a trailer. And you ask them, would they like a link to see the film in its full, you know, the full film. When they write back to you, you then know that they are a real human, that they have seen your email, that they want, that they have interest. You know, then they're on the hook. They're interested. Then you send them the link, you know, with the password and say, thanks very much. You know, can't wait to hear what you think. And that's it. You wait, you give them, you know, 10 days. And then you send an email, were you able to see the film? You know, and hopefully they write back to you within 24 hours because they're waiting for this film and they can't wait to see it. And they see it and they go, oh, we're getting this right now. But, you know, if they don't and you don't hear back, give them a good week before you, you follow up. I think the most important piece of advice about it is that you don't send a link to the film in the first email because you have no idea if the person even received it. There's no way to really check back in. You don't know if it's a real human, if it's the right human. So that's, right. that's the advice. Oh, how smart. That's really good. Yeah. Okay. Good. Well, I want to go back to your website because on there you say that uh, you, sh- you want to make a plan for distribution and marketing. And the point is that you help people make that plan, right, when you do your consultations? Yes, exactly. So you can lay yeah. out so- – uh, Right. Well, one of the first things we, that I like to look at is the marketing. So I like to look at the one sheet and the trailer before I see anything about the film, because that first impression is incredibly important. And filmmakers, I know from experience, filmmakers lose their objectivity and cannot tell what the first impression is by the time they're done with their artwork and their trailer. You know, it's tough to really understand what somebody is first seeing when you've looked at it 7,000 times. So um, it's great to have somebody from the business take a look and give you their true first impression response. And really what I'm looking for is I'm trying to understand who you think your audience is from that key art and the trailer. So in other words, if it's edgy and dark and there are curse words involved or guns or blood or something like that, then I'm going to assume that your audience is an edgy, indie, inner city, you know, hipster, kind of rough, dark audience, and that that's, the, that's who you're trying to get to buy your film. 
if I then watch the film and it's inspiring or it's spiritual or it's transformational in some way, I say, hang on. The people who actually would pay to see this film are people who are looking for an inspiring, inspirational, transformational film. This marketing is not going to pull them in. I see the blood and I go, forget it. You know, I'm not willing to, to <laughs> risk watching this film. And I'm your audience, right? So you got a problem right. there. So this is where it's really fun to work with people to kind of back up their marketing and go back to who is your audience? Who would really lay down money? Now, I don't mean, obviously, your audience is everybody in the world, right? Filmmakers love to start there. Everybody would love my movie. That's, I'm sure that's true if they were forced to watch it. But who is going to really be willing to pay? Those are the people who you need to make sure your marketing is pulling in. So we exactly. kind of, you know, start with that. And then, you know, and then we can start to talk about, you know, where your distribution is, which distributors might have interest, which companies like this kind of film, which companies know how to reach this audience. And, you right. know, that's where I've got some experience just because I worked with these distributors for years and years and years. So, right. That's kind of the fun that part. Is yeah. so, that is so smart. You're absolutely right. Well, I would love to hear some about your film, The Helen Movie. Can you share that with us? <laughs> sure. Yes. So um, The Helen Movie came to me about eight years ago when I met this incredible woman who is a brilliant artist. She lives here in Santa Fe. She had retired here um, where I live. And I became really good friends with her um, the way I was first introduced to her was that a friend of mine was working on an edit of some film footage that she had shot in the 60s. And I started to look at this footage and I said, this is crazy. Where are we? What, what am I watching? I mean, it's mind-blowing, this film footage. And it turns out that she and her husband, uh, Helen and Frank Schreider, had traveled the world in the 50s and 60s. They were explorers. And they started out on their own. They built an amphibious Jeep, and they went from Circle, Alaska, to Tierra del Fuego from 1954 to 1956, <laughs> completely oh. on their own, by hook or by crook. They, they literally used tin can, soda cans and chewing gum and rubber bands at times to keep this vehicle together, you know, with 20 villagers helping them to go over a boulder in the middle of a mud field. Crazy stuff. Um, they had to go by land or by sea because there were times when they couldn't go by land any further. Wall of rock in Costa Rica that forced them into, into the sea through 20-foot waves. Um, crazy things that they lived through. And, you know, after this adventure, Helen's husband, Frank, was inducted into the Explorers Club, which was the the big, you know, American club, like the Royal Geographic Society for American Explorers. And women were not allowed in. So 1956, they came back from their adventure. They wrote a best-selling book, 20,000 Miles South. They had a five-week spread in Saturday Evening Post. They did a national speaking tour where they showed the film and spoke on stage um, in front of the film. And, uh, and Frank was an Explorers Club member, but Helen was never allowed to be. So they, right after this trip, they ended up being hired by National Geographic, who were kicking themselves for passing on the story in the first place. Um, 
And they ended up working with National Geographic for the next 15 years. And they did eight more huge journeys, big expeditions with books and enormous uh, 60-page National Geographic articles filled with photos and, and Helen's drawings and paintings, you know, narrated the books. And so it was just an incredible story. Um, last year, we realized that it was ridiculous that Helen was still not a member of the Explorers Club. And at 89 years old, we went behind her back and Uh we got her her membership to the Explorers Club. And when we did this, you know, I thought, well, she can't just get an email saying, congratulations, you're a member of the Explorers Club. Like, we have to do something. So I threw a big party and we filmed the whole thing. And the woman who was the first female president of the Explorers Club, which didn't happen until 1999, actually came here and handed Helen her certificate in person, uh, while two oh. other international members of the Explorers Club also came to celebrate with us. And it was just an incredible event. And here is this, you know, 60 years later, she's inducted into the Explorers Club when she literally was not allowed in the front door of the place. So oh, this is there's marvelous. a real story here. It's, it's super fun. And, and so at this point, the Explorers Club has invited us to go to their annual dinner, which happens once a year in New York City. And it's 600 explorers from around the U.S. who have been, you know, diving in deep to these explorations for, uh, you know, over a century, basically. So there's 600 people who show up at each one of these Explorers Club annual dinners. And they've invited us to come and show a rough cut of the film during the Explorers Club weekend. Oh, my goodness. Oh, that's Which great. means, as you can imagine, that we need to raise funds very quickly and, you know, try and figure out how we're going to get ourselves there. And Helen is now 90 years old. And so, you know, it's a very exciting story. And it's wonderful to think of her walking in the front door of the club as a member, as an honored member. Yes. Um, oh, this so is fabulous. That's the plan at this point. And so uh, we, we now have a donate button on the HelenMovie.com website, which actually has the word Z in it. I think people look up Helen Movie and don't realize it's TheHelenMovie.com. Um, and that donate button is actually through to your company because From the Heart Productions is now our fiscal sponsor, which we're just thrilled about and really want to say thank, thank you, you, Carol, for, for being willing. Yeah, it's great. Oh, this is going to so, be a lot of fun working with you. Oh, but let me say to you that when you <laughs> those six hundred people, how can you get their email addresses? Because that's the finishing funds for the film. They've exactly. got the money. That's exactly right. Uh, that's right. Oh, isn't that wonderful when you get there and you get to yeah. meet them and um, yeah, yes. So that's the hope. Is um, you know we need to be. We need to be very creative about how we collect connections while we're there and, you know, wondering if there's a way to do that that would be really fun and exciting for everybody involved. You know, can we have a contest or have a, I don't know, you know, something fun that would have people want to give us their emails and names and, you know, connect with us. So we're brainstorming that. Oh, definitely. You get any ideas. Definitely. You've got, oh, yes, I'll think on that because that's the key. You have to get their email addresses somehow. Okay. That's, right. that's a fun thing to work uh, on. 
I just want to ask one quick question, if I may, and and that is you sure. you are such a wealth of information. There's so much to work with, so many brilliant ideas. Um, what would you advise for for people to organize it and not get into an overwhelmed state of oh, there's so much to do in so little time? <laughs> Yeah. Um, You know, I think what I always keep in mind is that every day is an accumulation of knowledge and effort. And whether I do anything or not, next year I will be a year older and a year will have passed. So as many days as I can accumulate knowledge and effort towards the goal during that year, it will further me, you know, and it may not all get done on Tuesday, but it's going to further me every piece that I do. So because mm-hmm. as you guys know, the relationships take time to build. So like, for instance, yes. with, this, with the Helen movie, I realized that there's this amphibious vehicle club that is rabid for amphibious vehicle stories, the histories. They are all about Ben Carlin, who there's a book coming out this year about Ben Carlin. Um, that's going to be really wonderful. I'm working with talking with the author a bit. Um, Ben Carlin was another person who did an amphibious Jeep uh, ride around the globe. And, you know, they're crazy for Helen and Frank Schreider because they knew what they had done with these amphibious vehicles. The first trip was just the first. When National Geographic hired them, they asked them to do the next two trips also by amphibious Jeep. So they had a trip down the Ganges and a trip through Indonesia also by Jeep. So I realized these are the people who I need to forge relationships with. So I've been doing that for years and that's what it takes, you know? And I think you just have to know that every day you're a little bit more prepared every day. You've done as much as you can do and it accumulates over time and it will add up to something. (laughs) And then the, you know, the only other piece of advice is come to the workshop and, you know, do the day too, because it really is both of us focused on your film with all of this knowledge and information so that you can walk out with a really clear, implementable plan. That's the goal. Good. Mm, so, thank wonderful. you. Absolutely. Oh, thank you so much, Helen. Helen. Thank you so much, Anna. <laughs> I'm so into your Helen film. That I'm going to go to sleep with that <laughs> tonight. Great. How to get those names oh, from you. 600 people. Yes. Okay. <laughs> thank yeah. you, Anna. Lots of love to you and your film. Please. Thank you. I really us- appreciate the opportunity. Okay. Thank you, Claire. It was a great show. Thank you very much. Okay. Take care. All right. Thanks. Thanks, Anna. Be well, everyone. Thank you. <laughs> Bye, Bye, Anna. Bye-bye. Now, in its second edition, Carol Dean's popular book, The Art of Film Funding, has 12 new chapters to cover all areas of film financing and how to avoid expensive pitfalls. Learn how to start with an idea and end with a trailer. How to make an ask for money. Create your story structure and your trailer. Legal advice, fair use, successful crowdfunding, how to ask for music rights, and what insurance you can't shoot without. Available on Amazon under Carol Dean and at FromTheHeartProductions.com. 
I want to remind our listeners that David Raiklin is a brilliant and talented award-winning musician who scores films and can compose music for a trio or for a full orchestra. David is a very good friend to the independent filmmaker and comes highly recommended by From the Heart Productions. If you need music to help tell your story, please contact him at davidraiklin.com. That's David, R-A-I-K-L-E-N dot com. And Carol and I want to thank you for tuning in to The Art of Film Funding. Please visit our website at fromtheheartproductions.com. You can also find us on Facebook and Twitter. Good luck with your films, everyone.